for sharing the gifts that God has given her and for the rest of our music team. We are very grateful for you. Uh, as I mentioned the last time I got to um, deliver God's Word here at Cross Point, it is a great blessing for me to be able to sit on your side and to be led in worship by such a talented team of people who uh, seek the Lord um, for Jim and Wendy and for so many others that, that dedicate themselves each week. We're truly grateful for you, so thank you. Um, if you if you were not with us last weekend, uh, one of the things uh, that we that we did was uh, a conference with uh, Dr. Don Whitney. It was about praying the Bible and spiritual disciplines and meditating on God's Word. It was really quite wonderful. Um, in fact, I, I feel like I've had one of the most awake weeks spiritually that I've had in a long time. Um, the Lord poured out His blessings through Dr. Whitney on Friday evening and on Saturday, and then it just poured on Sunday. Uh, so if you weren't able to make it back, the weather is uh, much better today, and so we're, we're certainly grateful for that. Uh, but it was, it was a great time praying through. If you weren't here, find somebody who was here and, uh, and, and ask them about the things that we talked about. Your life, spiritually and in prayer, will be changed. I can tell you that tr- truthfully. Uh, when I was growing up, and in, in, uh, I was a mere tot, just a few miles away from here, I, I, uh, my parents had a house in Parkview Oak Subdivision. I don't know if you know where that is, Corsi and Sherwood. All right, we went to Woodlawn Baptist Church. I was, uh, I was baptized in that church just down the road from us. But the 90s were sort of a weird church culture time. You know, I know the 70s kind of were too with sort of campfire songs and, and the 80s were just weird for everybody all over. Can we just be real for a minute? I've seen the pictures of a lot of you, okay? Um, but in the 90s, there were, these, there were these crew of guys that would go around, these hulked up dudes. They were called, anybody know? The Power Team. Yeah, and these guys are just totally jacked, no necks, any of them. None of them had a neck. Um, but they're ripped up, and they're like wearing these Power Team tank tops, like these huge dudes. And, um, and they would go around, and they would like perform, the, like they'd rip apart phone books, and they would like bend steel pipes. And then they would share the gospel. And how those two things connected, I was never quite sure, but it was really cool for like 12-year-old Andrew to be like, oh, wow, one day I could do that. No, because of genetics, I could not do that. Um, I'm not sure if these guys were fueled by the Spirit or fueled by GNC, but, uh, but it was really a, a, an interesting thing. We're, we're not often com- comfortable talking about power in church. And that's because many of us grew up Baptist. And so when I say the word power in church, we immediately think of raucous business meetings in which there's a struggle over whether the carpet should be red or blue, or somebody didn't get visited in the hospital, or, you know, we need to make sure that we keep that person happy because they have a lot of power in our church. Uh, Look, hey, we're just going to be honest on a Sunday morning here, right? We've, We've all heard of or been to a church where power was an issue. It has a negative connotation in many uh, communities of faith around our country and around our region. So we're not comfortable talking about power, but it's a biblical concept. Who would you describe in your life as powerful? Think for a moment. Who would you describe as powerful? Perhaps it is someone who is a dynamic speaker. Perhaps it is someone who can uh, communicate well or 
Or maybe it's someone who's at your gym and you look over at them and you didn't know the gym owned that many weights and they're like lifting over there and you're thinking like, I'm, I'm going to go do cardio. You know, that's what I'm going to do today. Who would you describe as powerful? Would people ever describe you as powerful? Do we look at other members of our church and say, man, that, that woman, you can just tell that she is powerful when she prays. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about power this morning. Uh, the title of the message is Help is on the Way. And it's in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 16. If you would turn to your copy of God's Word, there is power in touching the Word and seeing it for yourself and reading along. So I invite you to do that. In verse 5, John's Gospel reads, Jesus is speaking here. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. And therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. To set up a little bit of uh, historical timeline of what's going on, this, uh, the Gospel of John spends the bulk of its time in a one-week window. In a one-week window. John spends a ton of time from Palm Sunday until the resurrection and ascension. He spends a lot of time there. And this is happening in the upper room. They've, they've dined together, and Jesus is giving some, really giving some last instructions uh, the disciples perhaps don't realize that, but that's what's going on. He's about to give a high priestly prayer, praying for the disciples, praying, um, interceding on their behalf. But here, they're in the upper room, and Jesus knows what's coming. He's, Judas has already left. He's already said that Peter is going to deny him three times. We're, we're really right up toward the end, at this point of John's Gospel. And so, these are really some of Jesus' last instructions for his disciples. He says uh, in, in verse 5, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are, you, where are you going? And if you're literate in the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of John, you know that the disciples ask all the time when he says, I'm going away, they go, Jesus, where are you going? Like they ask that all the time. But in fact, two times previously in this very conversation, in, in chapter 13, verse 36, 
in chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus has said he's going away, and they ask him, Lord, where, where are you going? By this third time, it's sort of sunk in for these guys that Jesus is going away. They're no longer asking where he's going, they're just sad. They have sorrow in their heart because Jesus continues to insist that he is going away. And so the question is, why is Jesus going away? They're, they're asking this, and he makes this outlandish, audacious statement. Look at verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The thesis of this message is this, that Jesus has showed us he showed the disciples, but he showed us how to walk rightly with the Father. But the Holy Spirit actually empowers us to actually do it. And this is the premise behind what Jesus is telling his disciples here. It's to your advantage that I go away so that he comes. The Holy Spirit, that's the he that we're talking about here. The Spirit, the Helper, the paraclete, if you want to go back to that word, uh, the Holy Spirit has come to us. Jesus has gone away. We're talking 2017, okay? He ha Jesus has gone, and the Holy Spirit has come to us. You know what? I, I love asking, like, conversation-starting questions. One of my favorite questions to ask is, if you could go see any musical group throughout history, at any time, for one particular concert, who would you go see? Like where? And we're not talking about, oh, I just want to go see the Beatles. We're like, I want to go see the Beatles when they played on the Ed Sullivan Show. Like, I want to be in the audience for that moment. That would be super cool. Or like Queen's last big concert at Wembley Stadium. I think that would be so awesome, right? To go, like, to, go to these specific places. And then I'll ask the question, say, if you could only go to one place, past or future, where would you go? Would you go to the past to see a historical event, or would you go to the future? I, I would totally go to the future. I'd do the back to the future thing that Biff did. I'd get like the sports almanac and be rich forever. I think that sounds like a great idea. Anybody pick it up with me? Children of the 80s and 90s? Okay, good. Uh, but uh, many people would answer this. I would go to the past, and I would go back, and I would walk with Jesus. That's a good answer, right? <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. I would go back to walk with Jesus. In fact, uh, Larry King, when somebody was interviewing Larry King, that actually happened. They said, uh, who's, who's one historical figure you'd really like to have interviewed? And he said, I'd like to have interviewed Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because if he really rose from the dead, then that changes everything. That was Larry King's answer. So Larry King would say he would want to go back and, and meet Jesus. And that would be the answer for us, for many of us here this morning. But look at what Jesus says. He actually says that it's better now that he's gone away and that the Holy Spirit has come to us. We have it better now than the disciples who walked with him and talked with him and fed the 5,000 with him and saw the miracle at the wedding at Cana and saw Lazarus come back to life. We have it better now. And that's just not my opinion. That's the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. That it's advantageous for us to have the Holy Spirit. Jesus has walked with them. 
but he is going to send the Holy Spirit of God, who is very God, who is one of the three in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit does not take some sort of like auxiliary role where we kind of, you know, Father, Son, my bad, nobody, amen, a Baptist, huh? Nobody? Come on, y'all get a little bit uncomfortable. Y'all feel like somebody's going to start like dancing in the aisles when we talk Holy Spirit stuff. And we might. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We got a little time left. We're fixing to move some chairs out and put some tables in. So we get a little space. No, we get worried talking about the Holy Spirit. But in fact, Jesus has shown us how to walk rightly with the Father. But the Holy Spirit is going to actually empower us to do it, to walk rightly. And so what does Jesus say about the Helper when he comes? Verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the word convict, the Holy Spirit will convict us rightly. It's the second point in your outline if you are a tactile learner and need to write things down in order to keep paying attention. I do. I'm a chronic doodler. So, write it down if you need it. The Holy Spirit convicts us rightly. The word convict here is, uh, obviously it's a legal term, right? We, we understand that you've been accused of a crime, you've been convicted. But here what it actually is talking about is a cross-examination, a refuting of an argument. Or someone's given testimony, and now here comes, here comes the cross-examination to convict this person, to show them the truth. I thought about this moment, uh, the Jack Nicholson thing, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. That's this. We think we know. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we realize that we had no idea. And the truth about our state comes out. We can't handle the truth. See, we think we understand sin. It's just right and wrong. It's good and evil. Maybe you understand that sin is not being perfect, missing the mark. I like what uh, Nick and I sort of talked about this this week, and he said it's not, it is an archery term, but it's not firing and missing the bullseye. It's literally turning and firing in the other direction. But we think sin is just like good and bad. Righteousness is, are you nice? Like, do you kick puppies, and do you, like, knock old people over to go across the street? Or, like, are you a nice person? There are these degrees of righteousness, right? And judgment. We trust our legal system, perhaps, or... Or we say that, you know, uh, they got what they deserve. There's some sort of judgment there that God is going to reach down and smite people just for being bad folks. Um, but we have no idea about this stuff unless the Holy, Holy Spirit teaches us about these things. What we don't know, most assuredly, can hurt us. People say ignorance is bliss. Mostly ignorant people say that, I think. And I think they're pretty happy about it. Ignorance is not bliss in this case. What we don't know really can hurt us. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, shares a great story. And I've read it, and I, uh, I actually read this on Cinco de Mayo. And it was about a Mexican bank robber. And I said, yeah, we're going to use that. Perfect time. Jorge Rodriguez was a Mexican bank robber who operated along the Texas border around the end of the 19th century. He was so successful in his forays that the Texas Rangers assigned an extra posse to the Rio Grande to try to stop this guy. 
Late one afternoon, one of the special rangers sees Jorge slipping stealthily across the river, and he trails him at a discreet distance as he returned to his home village. He watched as Jorge first mingled with the people in the square around the town, and then uh, he goes into his favorite cantina to relax after a day of successful bank robbing. The ranger slipped into the cantina as well, and he managed to get the drop on Jorge. With a pistol at Jorge's head, he said, I know who you are, Jorge Rodriguez, and I have come to get back all the money you have stolen from the banks of Texas. Unless you give it to me, I am going to pull the trigger. There was a problem. Jorge did not apply English. Didn't speak English. And the Texas Ranger, no hablo español. He didn't speak Spanish. So they were in an impasse. Uh, about that time, an enterprising villager comes up and says, I I'm bilingual. Do you want me to act as a translator? To which I'm sure they both nodded. Uh, the ranger nods, and the villager proceeds to put the words of the ranger into terms Jorge could understand. Nervously, Jorge answered, tell the big Texas ranger that I have not spent a cent of the money. If he will go to the town well, face north, and count five stones, he will find a loose one there. Pull it out, and all of the money is behind him. Please tell him quickly. The little translator assumed a solemn look and said to the ranger in perfect English, Jorge Rodriguez is a brave man. He says he is ready to die. <laughs> what we don't know, most assuredly, can hurt us. So what does it say about the work of the helper? What is he going to do? He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. First of all, concerning sin. We need to look at we need to look at the following statements to understand the first statement. If we were just to say concerning sin and then I were to expound upon what sin is without going back to the text that we would perhaps be in error for that. So let's look at this these as chunks. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Here Jesus is primarily talking about the, the unforgivable sin, and that is un, in unbelief in Jesus Christ. Not believing in Jesus Christ is the sin that he's talking about. This is not just a conviction over a failed morality. It is utter hopeless feeling that accompanies seeing ourselves as God sees us. See, when the Holy Spirit removes the blinders from our eyes... And we begin to see that we're really not a good person. In fact, that we are totally and completely depraved. And there's really not any good in us. Then we are convicted of our sin. We don't just feel bad about right and wrong. We see that we are absolutely hopeless before a holy God. So the Holy Spirit convicts in this way. Concerning Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. We, we may think, apart from the Holy Spirit, that righteousness is a sliding scale. You know, I'm better than that guy, or I'm a good person. I'm no preacher, but I do my best. And, uh, you know, Maybe the guy in prison who, who uh, is in there for grand larceny or perhaps even for murder, maybe he's only like 10% righteous. 
Maybe just a bad dude. Maybe just the average Joe walking down the street, the guy that works with you. Like, he's okay. You know, he pays his bills and stuff. He's maybe 50% righteous. Now, now, Pastor Nick, you may not know him as well as I do, so you might think that he's like uh, 90% righteous. I'm just kidding. It's not that high. Um, we, we might think that outside of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, there's this sliding scale of righteousness, and you can go up and down based on what you do, good or bad. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He cross-examines our thoughts on righteousness. And we see that we can never measure up. Because here's the sliding scale. Jesus was 100% righteous. And we are 0% righteous. That's the scale. You know how much further north of zero you can move? None. No matter how many good things we do, we can never be 0.001% righteous. As Don Whitney said, even if we never sinned, that's not enough. Even if we never sinned, that just gets us back to level. We have to be fully righteous like God is righteous in order to be in right standing with the Father. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. But how does He do that? Because I go, I, Jesus, I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. The Holy Spirit allows us to see Jesus for who He is. So these two big components in justification for the unbeliever is that you see yourself for who you are concerning sin, and you see Jesus for who He is concerning righteousness. And when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and wakes us up, even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and we see who we are and who He is, we recognize that our hope is only to trust in Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. There is no way to get there. It's not possible. And the Holy Spirit shows us that. And concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world has been judged. I love it when the Bible does this. This is great. It speaks in future tense as past certainty. It speaks of a future thing as a past certainty. Where where does that happen that we're really familiar with? Romans 8, right? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like He uses the word glorified, which is going to happen. In a past tense. It's a, it's a certainty. It's something that's going to happen, but he's so sure it's going to happen, it's past tense as though it's already ancient history. It's that eternal foreknowledge that God is able to see all time and all space all at once. So it's so certain that it's going to happen that he's speaking about it as though it's already accomplished. And here Jesus is doing the same thing. The ruler of this world has been judged. 24 hours, or maybe less, From the time these words are departing the lips of our Savior, He is going to be hanging on a tree. He's going to have been beaten within an inch of His life. He's going to have flesh hanging out. And it is going to look to the ruler of this world as though He has won. 
as the Creator, Jesus Christ, hangs on a cross, as He has clearly no glory, as He's been uh, forsaken by the Father, the ruler of this world goes, got it. He's Satan, to, to use what, what it says in Genesis, Satan has bruised his heel. But three days later, Jesus will crush his head through resurrection. That judgment has come that Jesus has taken on the sin and the penalty of us all. And he's conquered death because he has been raised up by the Father on that third day. And he has resurrected. And all of a sudden, what looked like the ruler of this world, having, having gotten this great victory, the Lord is able to say, absolutely 100% guilty. You're done. The ruler of the world has been judged. The ruler of this world. He's speaking of Satan in that case. There's also a truth of judgment here that the Holy Spirit shows us. Outside of the Holy Spirit in our unregenerate state, where we're maybe depending on ourselves to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to do more good stuff than bad stuff, and so my sin balance will level out, there's maybe a hope that judgment won't take place. This is called universalism in today's world. And it's not an old concept. Surely a loving God, the saying goes, surely a loving God would not send anyone to hell, would not banish anyone to be apart from Him for eternity. Oh, perhaps we'll all have to pay for our sins in some sort of nether world like a purgatory and be prayed out. And maybe, but eventually maybe everyone will work their way there. When the Holy Spirit causes us to come alive, we see that judgment truly is coming. It's coming. It is going to happen. It is a certainty. All will be held responsible. And so will we be held responsible for our sin, for our righteousness? This is the question that we have to ask this morning. In verse 12, Jesus goes on and said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus, <laughs> look guys, the disciples get a bad rap, okay? These guys look like the Keystone Cops running around in the gospel sometimes. They have no clue what's going on, right? Jesus says, I'm going to feed all these people. They go, Gee, we ain't got enough food. Jesus, he goes, uh, uh, you know, Mary will anoint him, and, and they go, we could have sold that, Jesus. And we're able to sit back and go, you dummies. <laughs> Don't you know he's Jesus? Because uh, we, we got the book, right? And so we look at these and go, these guys are morons. And the truth be told, yeah, kind of. But this bumbling, stumbling bunch of people, not very long later on, are going to receive the Holy Spirit like Jesus is saying here. And all of a sudden, these guys who can't get it figured out are going to take the gospel across the world. The Peter, Peter that denies him three times is going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And the thousands are going to be saved. He's going to die a martyr's death. How did this guy who wouldn't even confess Jesus while he was alive, how is he going to deal with it when he's dead? Because the Holy Spirit has come to help. Of course they look foolish. So do you. 
when you try to operate outside of the Spirit, so do you. So do I. But the Holy Spirit causes us to comprehend. We are stumbling around in a dark room, banging into furniture, stepping on Legos, totally and completely lost without any clue of where we are. And the Holy Spirit flips the switch and brings us to life in Christ. He regenerates us. He takes a dead man and says, breathe, get up, walk. We are spiritually dead. We can do nothing on ourselves. Told you before, surest way to ruin a funeral. The dude in the casket gets up and walks away. That'll ruin a funeral. But the Holy Spirit brings the dead to life. He causes us to be able to comprehend and understand. Where we had no spiritual brain function at all, He all of a sudden turns that on. And we begin to understand the things of God. So when He says to the disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. He's going, if I said it now, you wouldn't get it. So look, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll look back on us and go, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what he meant. The Holy Spirit is the only way for you to understand God's Word. Otherwise, you're reading a really good book of parables and fables. The Holy Spirit is the only way for you to understand who Jesus is. Otherwise, he was just a great teacher. And maybe a prophet and a really nice guy. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand. But the Holy Spirit causes us to comprehend. But when He, verse 13, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of Trinitarian submission. Jesus, as he he walks through, especially in the Gospel of John, especially in John, John really brings this out. Jesus walks around and says, I'm not doing my will. I'm doing the will of the one who sent me. I and the Father are one. Jesus is constantly. Think of this. You you, want to feel like you don't need to pray? Jesus prayed and communed with the Father more than any person that's ever walked the face of this earth. And he was God. But he submits himself to the will of the Father. Doesn't it tell us that in Philippians chapter 2? He took on the form of a bond servant. And so Jesus submits himself to the will of the Father. And here he says about the Holy Spirit, he says he doesn't speak on his own initiative. He's not a rogue agent in the Trinity. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. Because he'll take of mine and will disclose it to you. And what's mine? All things that the Father has. There is nothing that God is holding back from you. He's not Lucy with the football with Charlie Brown. Okay, there are a few of y'all that have, a few of y'all that have a lighter shade of hair 
that ought to understand that, okay? Like my kids, if they don't get it, I know. But some of y'all know that. Lucy would hold the football, and I promise Chuck, I'm not going to pull it away. Whoop! Ah, ah. Yeah, right? So there's nothing that... There's nothing that the Holy Spirit is withholding from us because Jesus has all things from the Father. And he says that the Spirit will disclose to us all that is His. That's all things. The Holy Spirit, His function here is to point us to Jesus concerning righteousness because I'll go away and I'm with you no longer. So He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus, throughout His earthly ministry, is pointing to the Father. And the Father sent the Spirit so that we can understand. This Trinitarian doctrine is essential for us as believers. We cannot be so, we cannot be so fixated on one of the triune God, on one part of that. So fixated on the Father that we lose the Son and the Spirit. So fixated on the Son because we're afraid of talking about the Spirit that we, that we don't recognize the power that is within us. You have power. You have power. Stop living like a weakling. You're able to lift every weight in the spiritual gym through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're just doing cardio. You have power. In, in our natural state, though, there, there are some of you who I'm talking to this morning, and it's in one ear and out the other. You don't get it. I mean, you've heard it. Maybe even if there were to be an exam, you, you could bubble the right answer. Oh yeah, Jesus was God's son. I, I, I know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, God is love. I, I, I know that too. But in our natural state, we are blind, deaf, totally dead spiritually. We, you, you don't get it. We're enemies of God. We've said, my way is better than your way. And we have launched an all-out assault on God's righteousness in our natural state. But the Holy Spirit causes us to come to life. To see how sinful we are and how righteous Jesus is. To recognize that there's no sliding scale. He's a hundred and we're zero. And without putting our faith in Him, we are absolutely hopeless. What you don't know spiritually really can hurt you. Assuredly so. The Holy Spirit translates the message of the gospel to our hearts so that we are able to to believe. There's none who seeks God. There's none who seeks God. Jesus could stand here at the front offering this gospel invitation that God, God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to eternal life. And so Jesus stands at the front and he says, come. Come. I've paid the penalty. I've done everything necessary for you to have eternal life and to have a relationship with me and be made right with the Father. Come. And you would sit in your seat. Unless the Holy Spirit sits next to you. Comes inside of you. And says, go. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring us life. If this morning you're sensing a stirring in your heart. Perhaps for the first time this has clicked. 
Perhaps for the first time, there are things that are, that are happening in your mind that you don't quite understand. That happened to me too. That's happened to a lot of people in this room. There is forgiveness of sin. There is Christ's righteousness that has been bought and paid for that can be given to you if you will simply come. In a moment, we're going to have a closing song. I'm, I'm going to be right uh, sitting right here with my family, and Nick is here, and um, Brother Al, and Dr. David, and Wes. And if you want to come speak to any of us at, uh, either, during that time or after the service, if the Lord is stirring your heart, I would, I would encourage you to come. Let's pray together. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, thanking you for allowing us to dive into your word, to be able to give uh, due credence to the Holy Spirit this morning and, and what you were able to do, Spirit. For those that are here this morning that are being stirred to life, perhaps, I pray that you would uh, have them come and speak. For those of us that have been given life through the Spirit so that we're able to see Christ. So that we are able to see ourselves and see that we would never measure up. But that you made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We claim that this morning. Have your way this morning, in the conclusion of our service, in our time together as a church congregation following, and as we go forward this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.